Good morning and happy Thanksgiving. Uh, this is John Holtzman uh, reporting in for our Around the World in 20 Minutes podcast where we try to make sense of the beguiling new planet we find ourselves on. And first and foremost, happy Thanksgiving. The two days of the year that I really feel homesick are the two unique American holidays, my two favorite days of the year, Thanksgiving and the 4th of July. And I find myself feeling a bit sorry for myself today as the world goes on here in Milan while I'm celebrating Thanksgiving in my heart. So those of you in America celebrating the day, have a piece of pumpkin pie for me and know that I'm thinking of you all and knowing that these traditions are what make the country wonderful and a thing that stays with you even as a lonely expat such as myself. So enjoy the day. Have some turkey and cranberry sauce while I think of my family having a wonderful meal, playing touch football, falling asleep after eating too much, and turkey sandwiches in the evening at my grandmother's house. And that's where my head and my heart are today. But as that we're getting on, and you might want to escape your family for just 20 minutes and have a listen, uh, there's been a very interesting political risk development with the election in the Netherlands, um, where the right-wing populist Geert Wilders has broken through emerging as by far the largest winner of the Dutch election. And this confirms what we saw with Javier Malay just earlier this week, that populism, despite what the mainstream media having written it off, the populist vampire from their point of view has arisen um, and isn't going away anytime soon. And so we really have to get our heads around uh, both as people and in our businesses, what does populism mean and what doesn't it mean? Um, as we go. Uh, certainly, Wilders is more a right-wing populist, whereas Malay is more of a libertarian populist. They're not the same by any means, and what they propose is quite different. So the first thing to do is to define what we mean by populist. If what we mean is a revolt against the established political elite, Wilders and Malay fit together. But as to what to do, libertarianism and a hard-right nationalism aren't the same thing. And so it's important to separate that as we talk. Otherwise, it's lazy and really doesn't help us. But as a revolt against elites who've taken their people for granted, this will work very well. Um, the Netherlands are a country I know very, very well. I spent three years living there part-time, and my firm did an awful lot of consulting uh, at the think tank and governmental level in Holland. So I know a lot of the people involved. It's a small elite, and I lived in The Hague part-time, and I'd go to the Plan, which is the lovely kind of French-style square in the middle of the city, and you would literally see Geert Wilders and all the other leaders um, really in front of your eyes. It's a very small place where you really do get to know everyone. So this is an area that, that I have an awful lot of experience with. And as always in Holland, and we'll try to simplify for those of you who don't follow this, but there's 16 political parties vying for seats in parliament. So we will keep this simple. But as we talk about it, do know um, overall how fragmented Dutch politics are. Nobody gets a majority. There are 150 seats in the Dutch parliament and nobody gets anything like a majority. Wilders, whose party is easily first, has only 35 seats. And so the election is just stage one of the kind of electoral process, then begins months of horse trading as people try to form a coalition because nobody with 16 parties gets anything like the 75 seats necessary. And this fragmentation is just part of Dutch political culture. 
and you've got to factor in as we talk that that's that's what's going on. I really enjoyed living there. I have an awful lot of good friends um, from up uh, up up in uh, the Plen and and at the Hague and and in Holland in general. Uh, by the way, for those of you who don't know, the Netherlands is the name of the country. Holland is the largest province. I will lazily use them interchangeably, but the Netherlands is the official name of the country. Um, as we talk about this and what this means, again, the hard right populist Geert Wilders won the Dutch election, uh, which is remarkable. It's a shock victory. Um, up until the last minute, polling showed things even between a number of parties, and there was a last minute surge for Wilders. Um, this will send a political earthquake throughout Europe because Wilders is a soulmate of people like Matteo Salvini, the populist in Italy, somewhat fading populist, the certainly not fading populist Marine Le Pen in France, who's ahead by all accounts in an election to be the next president of France. She's a soulmate. Of Wilders. And this is really a political earthquake. And I think most importantly, the fact is this is an ongoing process. Populism, uh, despite all the lullabies that the mainstream media are singing for their political establishment masters, is not going away. And rather, what we see just this week in both Argentina and now in the Netherlands show that it's going to be a rolling tide and that, that it ebbs and flows like a tide, but that the tide is now flowing in both Argentina, the Netherlands, and when you look at results, the European parliamentary election results are, are certainly bear watching, and then the key battle in France down the road. Uh, but as to Wilders, his party, the PVV, took the largest share of the vote with 35 seats, and this is double the 17 seats he took last time. So this is a gigantic leap forward. Wilders has always been at the edge of politics, and he's been ostracized by the mainstream parties, and he's always gotten, you know, near the top second, third, joint first, but never overwhelmingly the dominant party. So this is a sea change, a step change forward for Wilders and the PVV with 35 seats. Coming in second, the Labour-Green-Left-Wing Alliance, led by former EU Vice President Franz Timmermans, came second with 26 seats. You know, I, I've met Timmermans and heard him speak a couple times. And this guy is the ultimate kind of EU bureaucrat. He actually helped design some of the policies, um, the climate change policies that the EU as a whole has adopted. I mean, this is his major issue. He is arrogant. He is elitist. And uh, he's the son of diplomats. And probably the best line in the campaign was during the debate when they had, I think, six or seven of the senior leaders of the major parties um, in, in a fractious debate, as it would be with seven people, that that Wilders listened to Timmermans speaking, and he said, you know, uh, Mr. Timmermans, uh, you know, you, you may speak seven languages, but you don't speak the language of the people. And I think that that is one of the better sound bites of the year, and really shows why populism is working politically, that Although populists want very different things, although many of them don't have a background in governance, although they tend to think different things, they think one big thing in common. And that one big thing is that the elites, the self-regarding elites, have failed and that these elites often are authoritarian, that they think the little people should just do what they're told. It's hard to think of more of an elitist, technocratic, arrogant, self-regarding group of people for almost no reason at all than the European Union. I mean, the, the factoid to know about Europe that no one 
talks about and everyone should is that 15 years ago, the American and European Eurozone economies were roughly the same size. And that in the last 15 years, the American economy has grown at about 82%, whereas the European economy has grown at only about 6% over the last 15 years, meaning Europe has been utterly stagnant while the American economy has almost doubled in size, primarily through high tech, but in general. So the American economy has gone on to strength to strength, leaving Europe behind as a museum. And the self-regarding elite don't think that, and how dare people question their climate program, and they should just damn well do what they say. And I think Wilder's line is great. You may speak seven languages, you have every elite credential that Timmermans there is, but you don't speak the language of the people. You don't explain to average people how what the elite is doing uh, serves them. And, and of course, you can argue, and I certainly would, it doesn't serve them. That the, the populists are wrong about all kinds of things, but they're right about one big thing, the self-regarding elite has failed. And as we've said with the Patrick Henry podcast, every elite, every elite has, there's always an elite, it's always arrogant, it's always self-regarding, it always jealously guards its prerogatives, it often gives it, arrogates to itself far too much, is semi-corrupt, blah, blah, blah. The question is, does the elite also serve the people? If you look at the Western elite or the American elite in Roosevelt's time, Franklin Roosevelt's time, or Theodore for that matter, you could say, well, yes, there was an elite, but it got us through the Depression, won World War II, and left freedom um, the dominant force in the world rather than either Nazism or communism, that elite contributed to society. You can say to the next generation, Jack Kennedy, Harry Truman, Dwight Eisenhower, that the Cold War, that that elite for all its many failings, won the Cold War, set in motion the forces that won the Cold War. They did something positive. This present elite, it's hard to think about what they've done positive. You can look at Iraq or Afghanistan or the financial crisis or COVID and the botched deal there and the cover-ups that went with it, along with the authoritarianism of Fauci saying, I am the science, uh, the height of lunacy, his Louis Fourteenth, I am the state comment. And this is Timmermans' background. This is the, the EU elite, often technocratic, often unelected, thinks it's better educated and knows better than its people, which is maddening enough. But all elites do that. The problem is the elite hasn't delivered. If you've only grown at 6% over the last 15 years, you haven't delivered. And to be arrogant in the face of incompetence is what's driving populism. And the comment that Wilders made to Timmermans is, is central. You may speak seven languages, but you don't speak the language of the people. And you failed, and you somehow don't seem to know that. For all that I press people around Hillary Clinton, name me a concrete historical accomplishment. They stammer around about her frequent flyer miles. For all that I talk to Obama's people and, you know, healthcare, whether I agree or disagree, is an accomplishment. Uh, I happen to think it's terrible. You may think it's great, but he did something. I accept that. What else did he do when you say he's a great president and then they stammer around? People care about achievement at a base level. And this is an elite that simply hasn't achieved. And that's why you see the results that you do, with both with Malay and Wilders. Wilders getting 35 seats, Timmermans a poor second with 26, the poster boy of a discredited EU elite who can't create jobs, bosses people around about climate change, trying to ruin very prosperous Dutch farmers in the process. And basically, if you question him, and he's certainly an arrogant man, he says, basically, shut up, I know better. And 
are we surprised this isn't working? You can only be arrogant if you've been competent. And that's the problem here. Uh, Wilders founded the PVV, his party, in 2004, um, after the assassination of Theo van Gogh, the uh, kind of extremist performance artist um, by Muslim fundamentalists. Uh, the party has been known as anti-Islamic and anti-Muslim. He's talked in the past about banning mosques, banning the Quran, where the Dutch are one of the most open societies in the world. And this has been kind of the blowback. He's been under kind of personal security details since death threats came coming out of this in 2004 for a long time. Um, he's toned down critically during the campaign his anti-Islamic rhetoric saying, look, this is no longer the most important issue. And it's an open question as to whether him toning this down helped him in the polls. It certainly seems to be so. Uh, however, Wilders remains committed to holding a referendum on Dutch EU membership. Next it, as they call it, um, because he's a Eurosceptic. Um, he's called for the Netherlands to stop also spend, sending aid to Ukraine, which he thinks could be better spent in Holland itself. So skeptical of the Ukraine war, skeptical of the EU, and he wants to withdraw from the climate uh, commitments that the Dutch have made up until now. And this is directly pointed at Timmermans, that the Dutch have shackled their economy to climate change proposals that are otherworldly and that do nothing other than, than, than destroy. It's self-harming the Dutch economy from his point of view. And he's been strong on all those issues. Migration was the number one issue in the campaign. Uh, rather than seeing things in an anti-Islamic light, Wilders adjusted his rhetoric to start saying, look, I'm going to govern for everyone in the country, but we simply can't take any more refugees. And when I lived in Holland, let me say, it's per capita the most crowded place in Europe. They handle it very well. I mean, I used to ride the tram to work every morning. Uh, I lived out uh, in, in a cheap apartment out on the outskirts of The Hague, which is a lovely city, and I'd ride the tram, tram in, and it would be crammed every day to get downtown. Uh, but they manage all that very well. But you do, set, you do feel a crowdedness there as an American used to open spaces um, that Wilders has played on. That, you know, we've, we've done our fair share. Now it's enough. We have to care about the people here. And this is a slightly different take. But migration was overwhelmingly the key issue of the campaign. And in fact, the last government of the center-right establishment, Mark Rutte's fourth government. Um, Rutte's been the great survivor of Dutch politics. He's run four governments. He's been in power for the last 13 years. And it fell apart over questions in a grand coalition with the left um, over immigration, migration issues. So this was overwhelmingly the issue. Wilders adjusted his language somewhat and reap the rewards, that most people are, are worried about immigration, are skeptical about assimilation, and worried that they're creating a society very different than the one that really immigration and assimilation have to go together. Moderate folks believe in that isn't happening. They're worried about that, but they don't want to be seen as outright racist or anti-Islamic. And so Wilders toned things down and met the populace halfway, and his numbers doubled. And you can see that. Definitely. The problem for Wilders now, of course, is the second phase I was talking about of, of the Dutch political system. 35 seats is a lot, and he's overwhelmingly first. He gets the first crack at trying to form a government, but he has to form it with an awful lot of other parties. He's only at 35, and he has to get to 75. Um, and a number of other parties have already said they wouldn't work with him. 
possible coalition partners involved the establishment right VVD. The establishment right VVD came in third in the election um, with 23 seats uh, behind the left coalition's 26 and the PVV's 35. But the VVD have said they might work with him, but not with him as prime minister. And the new anti-establishment, new social contract party with 20 seats have said that they would be open to consider working with Wilders. But if the VVD don't agree to Wilders as prime minister, the only way forward then would be some sort of coalition here where the VVD, uh, even though it had a very disappointing result as the uh, governing party for the last 13 years uh, and the establishment right party, that the Dylan Yezeldolch, who is the woman who, uh, ironically, a quite hard uh, right for her party, VVD, kind of anti-immigration or for limited immigration. She herself was a Kurdish immigrant as a child, but Dylan Yezelgoch was thought to be the likely next prime minister, and she still may be, because she said the VVD will work with the PVV, but only if Wilders isn't prime minister. Uh, the new social contract party make no such limits. These are the two parties that are most likely to go along, but there's an awful lot of horse trading ahead. Um, you could, on the other hand, have a VVD government, the establishment left and the establishment right together would have the Timmermans, Yezelgots coalition would have 49 seats between them and might have an easier time getting to 75. But this would be a trap in a way, because if the establishment parties that came second and third in the election form some sort of grand coalition. This just plays into the populist narrative that these guys are part of the same establishment and they will do literally anything, anything to keep me from power. I don't know that excluding uh, the populace in, in European coalition governments is the way to go. It merely confirms their narrative that you guys are all out to get me and you'll do anything, even though one of you is quite left-wing, one of you is center-right, you don't care, you're part of the same establishment, that's what binds you, and you'll do anything to keep me out. And, and so there are the numbers to have this grand coalition, but frankly, I think that would be a very rickety coalition and might very well play into Wilder's hands, certainly into the populist narrative that this elite is self-regarding, and the one thing they're good at is covering their backsides and staying in power, regardless of their pathetic record of policy implementation. So the first step is done, and this is a shock result. Now comes the horse trading, which is always the second part of what goes on, and that's kind of where we are in Holland, and this bears watching, but I would argue there's a trap being set by Wilders if they go ahead without him, even though he overwhelmingly won the most seats. And again, just to give you a roundup, Wilders' is P PVV won 35 seats, Timmermans' left-wing coalition 26 seats, um, Yesel Gulch's VVD, the establishment right, 23, the new social contract anti-establishment party, 20, and then the far-left D66, 10, which is primarily an environmentalist, human rights, typical European socialist party. And excluding the winner of the election strikes me as a trap that Wilders could live with. Better to make him govern, uh, make him part of the system, to bring him in. Um, and this is both for practical reasons and also because the elite, and here I, I agree with Wilders, have had their turn and have failed utterly. Um, Wilders is right to say to Timmermans, you speak seven languages, but not the language of the people. Dutch farmers have been radicalized by onerous climate change 
restrictions put on them that have not been voted on by the average human being. And they now have voted in a cry of anguish that you have failed us economically. You have failed us with climate change, which is your religion, but not ours. You're willing to sacrifice our economic wherewithal for your new religion, which is climate change. And we're not for that. Until the establishment have real answers and learn to speak the language of the people, they will continue to lose elections because the populist narrative that the elite have fed, that the, that the elite arrogant and self-regarding as elites often are, have also failed is the key fact. So look for more shock election results as long as the elite refuse to look squarely in the mirror. Thank you. I enjoyed doing this one on the shock Dutch election results confirming that global populist revolt is uh, happy as we go forward. We have to talk in both practically for a personal level and in terms of business about what populism means. What in this, and I think a lot of it is good, what is good, what is dangerous, what is a risk, and what is just renewing democracy from an elite that has failed almost every which way you look at it, from Iraq to Afghanistan to the financial crisis to selling out its economic wherewithal, to not growing, uh, to believing in, in climate change and not worrying about its people. You're worrying about the end of the world, and most people are worried about the end of the month. Indeed, we must learn to speak the language of the people. Hope you enjoy this. Please do subscribe, and on to the next.